Good morning. I'm Mike Rapp, and welcome to Lifestyle Tucson. My guest for this portion of the program is Mona Aurora, Task Force Chair with the University of Arizona Vaccine Task Force. Good morning, Mona. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me here. Good morning, Mike. Well, what's going on over the U of A right now with this new task force? Well, we're we're very busy right now, uh, as you can imagine. Uh, We're actually very, I think, fortunate, and we're really glad to be able to serve the Tucson community and partner with the county to make sure that the COVID vaccine gets to everyone within our community. Wow. Well, that's extra special being able to um, partner with the uh, the county on this. Uh, any particular logistical hurdles to do that, or does uh, red tape kind of cut away? You know, that's a very good question, Mike. I think, you know, the, the name of the game or the challenge in the game right now is really making sure that in the back end, right, we have enough vaccine. Um, and, and that's probably one facet that's not in anyone's control, anyone at least locally, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but beyond that, you know, the university has been up and running this uh, point of dispensing, a pod, for, for delivering this vaccine for over a week. So we actually did a gradual, you know, um, escalation, so to speak, so we could uh, iron out all those uh, logistical issues like you mentioned. You know, doing something that's a drive-through is actually um, very lo- uh, logistically intensive. A lot of planning, a lot of um, a lot of strategic forethought really needs to come in um, as you stand up operations where you're really looking at um, thousands of people potentially trying to come your way. Yeah, and you're on a moving playing field. <laughs> I mean, it's changing all the time. Uh, have you, uh, in your first week, uh, come to terms with uh, some problems and learned something, perhaps? So yeah, actually we did. Um, so one of the problems, or not, I wouldn't say problems, I call it a challenge. There you go. Um, and it's challenges. Challenges are something you can always, you know, put put expertise towards and you can try to address mm-hmm. and kind of learn from, right? So um, I think initially one of our one of the things that we wanted to make sure was um, we we actually get enough um, individuals coming to our pod. And as 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 you and the listeners might have heard, you know, we ran into some little stumbles along the way in terms of making sure, you know, the TMC, the Pima County, all of that registration system was up and up and running. And we were fortunate enough that we were able to bring in all the experts from Tucson Medical Center, from Pima County, from the U of A to really troubleshoot and get that uh, moving forward. And, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm happy that, you know, what we've seen this week is our, our pod has been consistently full. So all the appointments that we have scheduled are taken. Um, and that's a positive sign, right, Mike? Um, you know, it shows that uh, community members are are wanting the vaccine and they're really eager to get in line and get it. And for us, it's really nice to be able to, you know, stand up this operation um, and welcome welcome our community and provide the service to them. Mm-hmm. Well, it's been so hit or miss for so many people trying to get a hold of a vaccine. Um, and you mentioned the uh, registration process. Is this something people have to revisit continually in order to get a spot, or how's that work? So uh, that's a very good question. And um, currently, this is the way the system is set in place. As you know, the county and and we were we being the university is very much lock in step with the county. Whatever guidelines, whatever directives that are coming from the county, you know, via. Um, from the up, upwards from the state and CDC, we're really uh, aligning to those, and we're really taking uh, to heart any of the recommendations they're providing. So currently, within Tucson or within the Puma County, 
you know, our we're, our priority population is what they what they've labeled as a one B one B one category, which mm-hmm. is your seventy five and above, your educators, your law enforcement, and other protective services. Mm-hmm. So the University of Arizona pod predominantly is targeted um, and is providing this service to the educator community. Mm-hmm. So that includes K to twelve child care providers. Uh, as well as post K to 12, so that's any of the colleges, vocational schools, and so on. And the registration system is all through the Pima County Health Department website. They also have a, 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 a what is it, a call center that's uh, open up, opened up, um, where they are providing help to community members who might just need a little bit, you know, uh, extra help. Maybe they have questions on how to get registered. So, but all that system is um, all open online. It's self-registered, so you want to get in, you, you fill out a survey, and as, as the vaccine appointments become available, you get notified by the TMC EPIC system, um, which is the partnership that the county has tapped into. Um, and this is all for the University of Arizona pod. And um, then, you, then you'll get invited to, to select your appointment to come and get your shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you know again? A lot of the folks we're talking about in this initial phase are elderly and have maybe have difficulty hearing and and uh, communicating and that kind of stuff. Can you sign your older folks up? Um, can you can an advocate help help somebody do that? Definitely, and and I'll be honest with you, Mike. I've actually helped a couple um, older, a couple of my older friends and neighbors sign up as well. Mm-hmm. I think one of the one of the key requirements they do ask is, you know, if that individual has their has an email address, um, and so you can walk them through it and you can help them out. And I encourage everyone, you know, watch out for your neighbors, watch out for family members uh, uh, who might need that extra help. Right? That that's what we're here for. That's being a good citizen. That's being a good uh, community member. So I really do encourage everyone to do that and help them get situated and help them, you know, and if they're willing to do it themselves and they're like, hey, can you just stand by me? And as I talk to the helpline, right, or as I'm looking at uh, looking, you know, doing this on the computer, just look over my shoulder. Mm-hmm. I'd say definitely I encourage everyone to do that. Okay. We're speaking with uh, Mona Aurora this morning. She's uh, University of Arizona Vaccine Task Force Chair. We're talking about the point of distribution. Is point of distribution or point of dispensary, or what, what does the, the pod stand for? That is a very good question, and we've actually gone back and forth on that. Uh, both are actually co- correct uh, terminologies. Um, right now, I believe locally we are using, and this is, I believe, coming from the CDC, we are using a point of dispensing terminology. Mm-hmm. Um, both of those really are, are, are really focused on delivering some type of service, usually it's either a vaccine or in, in, a, in a dispensing type of setting or a distribution type of setting. It could be, even be something like food and water. Mm-hmm. So um, in this case, I think in the local context, I think dispensing is the word that we've been okay. using a lot. Well, in, in, uh, in what does the pod look like? Is it a central location on campus or a number of uh, places around campus where you can visit and get a shot? And uh, I imagine you're working closely with uh, campus police. We are. That is a very good question. So this is this is a campus-wide operation. I am I am pleased to say, you know, as I mentioned earlier, Mike, this is this is such a big uh, logistical and operational task. Really making sure that our community members, our, our colleagues, everyone who comes to campus, they they can get the get their COVID vaccine in a safe manner but also in an efficient manner. So we have our team actually consists of, obviously, the Pima County Health Department, 
But internally within the university, we have the UAPD police department, we have risk management, we have facilities management. Uh, we also have volunteers that are coming from across campus and, and actually across the Tucson community that are really helping us send up the day-to-day -day operation. Our primary location is actually the U of A mall that you can enter off of Campbell. Um, so right south of uh, Speedway in Campbell. And so that's our drive-through operation. So you, uh, you just basically come in, you stay in your car the entire time. That's the beauty of that operation. Yeah, yeah. But I know that there's members of our community, you know, even my parents, if they were to go to the pod, they'd probably feel more comfortable walking, at, getting out of their car, going to a physical location and sitting down and, and getting their shot. Sure. So we also have a, a walk-through pod, so to speak, that is right adjacent to the UA Mall. It's in the, in the Giddings building right off of the mall. And we have our maps if we go if you go online, Mike, they, they will point you to both of those locations. Right. The one thing I would stress for everyone is uh, you have to register for an appointment first. So all appoint all, all vaccinations are being provided on an appointment basis only. Mm -hmm. Well tell us about how the volunteers are, are figuring into this and, and what kind of qualifications. Where are these folks coming from? So that's a that's a, also another very good. I'm question. full of them today. Um, <laughs> you are you're you're on a roll. Um, I appreciate it, and I'm hope I'm I'm I'm, I'm hopeful really that you know everyone everyone finds this really informative, and you know maybe gets motivated to come and volunteer. So uh, you know the volunteers itself. There's a medical op. This is this is a medical and a non-medical operation. If if you really look at it from a very broader standpoint, and so while we really are looking for medical uh, individuals, individuals who have any type of clinical background who can give a vaccine, for right. example, yeah. right? We're really, we are looking for those individuals because at the end of the day, the whole, whole pod is really centered around the need to provide a vaccination safely to, to individuals and community members. But if you look at it, the entire vaccination mission of this, of this uh, pod is actually resting on the shoulders of so many other individuals who can, who can speak with our, our community members and address any questions they have, who can help direct some traffic. Um, so we're really looking at non-medical volunteers as well who can spare you know, a few hours a, uh, a day or, or sporadically throughout the week to really come on board. We have we have a, a volunteer program, so our volunteer and staff coordinators will train you. Say so they will give you the vest, they will give you the tools that you might need to do the job. Um, but a lot of our non-medical volunteers can find themselves in uh, working in positions where they're interacting and really engaging with the audience, with, with the clients that come through the pod. Mm. Uh, so we have screening stations. We have an observation area. I'm not sure if you're aware, Mike, but with the COVID vaccine, uh, one of the CDC requirements is post-vaccination, everyone is required to stay for a minimum of 15 minutes in an observation period before As, yeah. they're able to drive off. Sure, you see that with almost everything, I mean, even allergy shots. Uh, again, we're speaking with... Um, with Mona Aurora this morning. She's University of Arizona Vaccine Task Force Chair. You're also a public health uh, teacher over at the university. And well, you, how's this? You know, it's, it's a nightmare. I know that it's been on the horizon for a while now. Uh, how are you uh, conveying the, the realities of this uh, to students in general? Uh, how's this opened your eyes and, and made you think differently, perhaps, about your, uh, your profession? 
That's a very good question. Um, I One of the courses that I teach in the College of Public Health is a course on emergency preparedness. So for years, and I've taught that course for quite a few years, about seven years plus, and we talk a lot about pan- pandemics. And I remember when, when the pandemic rolled out, you know, at the end of 2019 or beginning of 2020, and I taught that course in, in 2019, I usually end the class with, you know, Telling students that any skill set that you learn, whether it is in public health or outside of public health, always keep an open mind because that skill set could be useful when there's an emergency yeah. such as a pandemic that can happen. And, you know, I had students coming back after that class uh, when, when COVID-19 was just beginning to rear up, um, telling me that, you know, they developed the, the emergency preparedness plans that they had developed in class were really something that they were finding useful when we were going Great. through the lockdown. Awesome. So, you know, in, in the class, I think it's, it's what's really important is, you know, to bring that human perspective. I think we hear about COVID-19 everywhere, right? We turn on the news. Mm-hmm. Maybe when we're even talking to colleagues and friends, it's on everybody's mind. But I think in the classroom, it's important to help students kind of um, really uh, bring out their emotions, but then also really help them understand the grander scheme of things. Uh, for me, in the public health context, where public health really fits into all of this. Yeah. And our students have been really uh, at the forefront, helping volunteer in some of our positions and, and really uh provide and give give back so to speak mm, excellent well I'm, I'm i'm sorry i had to go through this but we're so glad that the you know, folks like you are out there for us in the midst of this and somebody wants to volunteer quickly uh, how do they do that so the easiest thing for them to do is go ahead and go to publichealth.arizona.edu. Um, on the main page, we actually will have a link that will provide a description of what kind of volunteer opportunities are available. And it'll also link you to a quick survey because we would like to get some information about sure. you know your skill set and what you want to do. But that would be one of the easiest ways to get connected. Very good. Uh, thank you for joining us this morning. Uh, my guest for this portion of Lifestyle Tucson is Mona Aurora, University of Arizona Vaccine Task Force Chairperson. You've got a lot to do. God bless you. I hope it works out for you. And thank you for joining us on Lifestyle Tucson. Thank you for having me, Mike. Good morning and welcome to Lifestyle Tucson. My name is Mike Rapp and my guest for this portion of the program is Tim Cromer. He's with Interfaith Community Services here in Tucson. We'll be talking a little bit about uh, where they're at right now in the midst of the uh, COVID crisis and uh, where they've been in the past and where they're going in the future. Good morning, Tim. Good morning, Mike. How are you? I'm well, thanks. Uh, it's, it's a constant battle. Uh, I know that you guys have been uh, dealing with this uh, over the course of the, uh, the pandemic, but let's uh, start at the beginning. Give us a little background on Interfaith Community Services. It was uh, rather modest and it's now rather significant. Absolutely, yes. Thanks, Mike. Um, so Interfaith Community Services started in 1985 um, when a few different faith communities got together and said, what would happen if people came together and joined forces, joined volunteers and resources so that we could help more people together than we can on our own? So we started with six different faith communities partnering together. Fast forward to today, there are 119 faith communities throughout Pima County that work with Interfaith Community Services, or ICS as we call ourselves, and those 119 faith communities are kind of the base of who we are. And we help people in a lot of different ways. We help people with emergency food from our food banks. We help people with rent and utility assistance to keep people from being evicted or have their power turn off during these cold winter nights. Uh, we help out seniors with rights to the doctor and the grocery store and other essential appointments. And we help folks find work at our job resource centers throughout town. So, so we help is- a lot of people. 
you you started out yep. as a food pantry, and now it's yep. You know that uh, I guess with several hundred you're dealing with in the beginning, and now you're up to over forty thousand people uh, getting your benefits. That's correct. Yeah, last year we served around forty-seven thousand individuals wow. throughout Tucson. All right. Well, let's talk about your facilities. Where are you located around town? Sure. We have uh, a few different facilities. Our, our largest facility is on the northwest side of town off of Ina Road. Uh, and then we also have a east side facility off of Broadway and Old Spanish Trail, that area. And finally, we have a south side facility at the El Pueblo Neighborhood Center off of Six and Irvington. Mm-hmm. Well, feeding people is an important effort, but as you pointed out, the Interfaith Community Services here in Tucson has expanded to, uh, I guess, a much broader effort. Um, what kind of experience do people have when they first get involved with um, community interfaith community services? Are they, are they looking for money? Are they looking for a job? Are they looking for a food? What's the, what's the uh, typical uh, entry point for somebody uh, who's going to benefit from ICS? It really is across the board, Mike. So we have a lot of people who first are introduced to ICS through our food banks. So they they uh, have run out of funding for that month. They don't have anything in the refrigerator, mm-hmm. and they know that they can come to ICS and we can give them a lot of good stuff. We we're, we give out frozen meat, dairy, produce, you name it, we can mm-hmm. give it out. Um, but then they realize that we can help with a lot more things. And so maybe they uh, are, they're paychecks running slim. They don't think they can meet their rent that month, and they can give us a call, and, and they can get some help with rent so they don't get evicted. Mm-hmm. Well, it gets really complicated in the midst of this uh, COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, this uh, novel coronavirus has slipped into almost everybody's life somehow, some way, and is uh, creating all kinds of problems right now. Are you seeing people that y- you hadn't been seeing in the past? Absolutely. Absolutely, Mike. And that's been the, the, the most devastating thing about this pandemic is we are seeing people who ha- we've never seen before, who have never needed help before. I just got a, a, a letter from a woman named Bailey who came to our food bank, um, and she said before the pandemic came about, she was the one donating food to our food bank. She was the one giving money to our food bank, and now she was receiving help from us. So it, it's, been, it's been heartbreaking to see those things happen right now. Mm-hmm. When uh, you deal with people who have you know, various issues beyond just uh, a need for a meal, how do you go about assessing a person's needs, um, you know, determining how you can help them um, and you know, the best course for them? Absolutely. Yeah. So we are uh, blessed with a number of different grants that we receive from um, both uh, organizational partners and government partners. And so we have a lot of different options that we can um, offer to people. And and each one of those grants have different qualifications, but we always try to find a way to to fit somebody within one of these grants. And so we'll take a look at previous um, help that they have received from other agencies. We'll take a look at income levels. We'll take a look at um, if they have children in the family. All of those things can be factors in terms of what kind of help they can get. Um, are you directing any government resources to these folks? We are, yes. Um, we, we have a received an influx of, of CARES 
Act-related uh, rental um, funding recently, um, and we've really ramped up the number of people that we've helped with eviction prevention, rental rental help. We've actually served nearly double um, the amount of people that we've served this time last year. So we've we've really ramped up the number of people we're helping with rent. Mm-hmm. How do you match up what the community needs ultimately with what you're able to provide? Um, are you flexible in your ability to to offer different weightings to different aspects of uh, the help you offer the community? Yes, definitely. And we've during this time period, we've really had to uh, be flexible and, and figure out new ways of doing things. At the, the food bank, for instance, um, it used to be kind of a, a grocery shopping style where people would go around our food bank with a cart and, and pick out items off the shelves. These days, we've, we've had to, to turn it into a drive-through style um, where people drive through with their cars and um, we have volunteers that put uh, a set number of food into the people's trunks um, to keep uh, both our volunteers and our clients safe. Um, Same thing has happened with rent and utility assistance, where we're doing pretty much everything virtually or over the phone right now. Speaking with Tim Cromer, he's with Outreach and Development for Interfaith Community Services, or ICS, as uh, many people know of the organization around town. It's been here since the uh, mid-'80s and has blossomed into an enormous resource for our community. Tell us about uh, this this interfaith, this, this ecumenical effort, this uh, getting churches and I assume temples and various other uh, kinds of faiths together on the same page. Do they all have a similar uh, motivation? Absolutely, yeah. So we have a single unifying mission that all of our faith community partners get on board with, and that's to help people in need achieve stable, healthy, and independent lives. And and we really live that out, and we look to our faith communities to, to live that out as well. And so we partner with everybody across the board, from Christians to Baha'is to uh, Muslims to to our Jewish congregations to you name it, um, people uh, come together to help others in need. And it's a really wonderful thing to see that we can put aside other differences that we have to help our neighbors. Yeah, well, alms for the poor is a, a pillar of almost all the religions out there, just not Islam. Um, all right, well, what do you use any kind of uh, instrumentation to survey uh, what's going on there and, and how your people are doing and, and you know, just essentially measuring progress with people you're trying to help? We do, absolutely. That's a big thing about what we do at ICS is uh, we can say we've we've helped a lot of people, but if we can't measure how much we help them and, and the why of uh, whether or not they're coming back and going to need to continue to need help, uh, then what's the point? And so we, yeah. we do a lot of tracking of when uh, people first come to see us. We do um, what's called a self-sufficiency matrix. It sounds really complicated, but it's basically getting a handle on what sorts of needs they have at the moment, and then we help them uh, meet as many of those needs as we can. And then we take the same survey six months to a year later, and a lot of times we see there's been significant growth in those areas, hopefully due to to what ICS has been able to help them with. Um, And so we see big increases in people's independence um, over the time that we work with them. Mm -hmm. And I guess you're going to have to take into account some of the uh, impacts that uh, the coronavirus has had on families. Um, how are you working that that particular metric into your efforts at ICS? Yeah, so we we do want to take into account that 
people might be unemployed longer than they they have been in 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 quote unquote normal times. So we do think about that. We also think about the other kind of government services that are out there and try to take into account for those as well. Thankfully, there there are a lot of different kind of safety nets out there right now than there used to be, um, and so we're trying to take advantages of, of those as well to make sure people have access to those new kinds of help. And then we take that into account of um, how we do these surveys and that sort of thing. How are you able to work with similar organizations around the country? Networking is always so important in terms of uh, not only uh, sharing ideas, but sometimes even resources. Um, are there other entities around the country that you guys are um, aware of and, and can uh, work with in order to maybe not reinvent the wheel in certain areas? Absolutely, yes. So we we work closely um, not only with agencies a- outside of uh, the Tucson area, but a lot of agencies right here in Pima County, right here in Tucson. There's a lot of other agencies doing good work um, and doing things that ICS doesn't do. Uh, ICS does not have a homeless shelter, and so we we will work with with folks who come to us who are homeless, um, and we'll help them in ways that we can. We'll we'll help them with a bus pass. Maybe they. Uh, could use a new ID to get government services. We'll help them in those ways, but then we'll direct them to those wonderful agencies right here in town that are doing good work and things like uh, like homeless shelters and um, uh, other kinds of uh, healthcare kind of related um, organizations. And so we we form a network of agencies here in town to to meet people's needs in all sorts of different ways. Mm-hmm. Well, your staff obviously includes you know, dedicated professionals who've been trained to do some of these things and and uh, work in a social services kind of environment. Well, what about volunteers? And because I used to, uh, I've had a long history as a uh, like a mobile meals guy. You know, you take the food out mm-hmm. and, and drop it off, and you know, collect the money and come back or whatever. Um, you know, a lot of people were on grants, FEMA grants, and that kind of thing. What about uh, volunteers and and trying to match the the right person with the right job? Absolutely, Mike. That the volunteers are the heartbeat of interfaith community services. Right now, there are around a thousand volunteers that is doing the bulk of the helping um, with with ICS. So these volunteers do everything from help at the food bank to to get food out, to answer the phones in the morning for people looking for rent and utility assistance, to doing mobile meals like like you used to do. Thanks for doing that, by the way. Um, to driving people to uh, appointments, to doctor's appointments, to uh, the pharmacy. And so these volunteers are out there in the community every day helping huge numbers of people. And so we can't do anything at ICS without the help of all these volunteers. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember having to go through a, a, a limited amount of you know, security background and that kind of thing because I was going to be interacting with uh, many of your clients uh, what kind of requirements yes. do uh, volunteers uh, need in order to uh, need to meet, rather, uh, in order to participate? Yes. Yeah, so part of it depends on what kind of volunteer work you'd like to do. Um, if you want to volunteer at the food bank, um, you can go to our website, icstucson.org. There's a section there. Uh, it's a sign-up genius website where there's certain slots that you can uh, fill in, and you can just 
put your name on there and show up. If you want to help out with a vulnerable senior, however, and take them uh, on rides alone in your car, we right. do do a background check. We make sure that you have a, sure. a decent driving record yeah. um, and, and, and that sort of thing. And so depending on the, the, the level of interaction that you have with clients, um, the, there will be uh, a longer amount of background checks and other kind of things that you'll need to go through. And to find ICS, it's just ICS.org or what's your what's your URL? ICS-Tucson.org. Okay. You can find out more about uh, uh, what they're doing. If you're new to the old Pueblo, it's a fabulous resource. If you're looking for somebody to uh, you know donate some time to, maybe some cash, uh, it's all there. They have a very highly uh, advanced development program and, and other ways for you, know, you to kick in everything from plan giving to, to uh, you know, cutting a check right now. All right. Uh, our friend Tim Cromer joining us from ICS this morning, Interfaith Community Services. Thank you for joining us on this portion of Lifestyle Tucson. Thank you so much, Mike. You have a great day.